Hello, hello. Welcome back to Table 5. I'm your host, Lindsay Luttrell. I want to start by saying how exciting it is to see your reviews of the podcast. It's truly just the coolest thing ever. I love reading your feedback. So thank you for taking the time to rate and review Table 5. And if you haven't and you want to, drop a note wherever you listen. Okay, so I've been thinking long and hard about my next restaurant shout out, and I decided to go with one of my hometown favorites in Destin, Florida. I was just home recently after visiting Fairhope, Alabama, where my little brother got married. Wild. I mean, it's a a total side note, but if you've ever had a sibling get married, then you probably know that feeling. It's just like a mixture of pure elation with the underlying knowledge that everything moving forward is going to be incredibly different stirred around with how much you love your, you know, siblings choice and spouse. I mean, hopefully. And AB, if you're listening, we do love you. Anyway, it was a magical wedding weekend, but I will get back to the food. So I am from Destin, Florida. And if you don't know, it's a small southern beach town on the Gulf Coast. I always tell people we're closer to Alabama than we are anything in Florida. Destin is known as the world's luckiest fishing village. So obviously we have to have good seafood. And if you know me or follow me on Instagram, you know that when I am home, I become a regular at Beauchamp's. Or as my friend Kristen Lee Burke, shout out, likes to say, I become the mayor. Beauchamp's was opened by a dear family friend, Miller Phillips, in 2013 on the same property his parents once owned a restaurant when we were growing up. It is huge with plenty of indoor and outdoor seating. I don't have kids, but both of my sisters do, and they will always pick Beauchamp's for the kid-friendly environment. There's a sandy beach. There's toys down there. There's games. It just It's like free entertainment for your children while you're trying to dine. And it's right on the Destin Harbor, which is stunning. And it's truly golf to table dining. I mean, I actually feel like you cannot go wrong with your order, but my personal favorites are the Alabama feta dip, the devil's crab, because why wouldn't you fry a saltine cracker and stack it with lump crab meat? The fried crab claws are a table pleaser, hands down every time. And for my go-to entree, I'm always going to get fried shrimp or fried grouper basket. And then to drink a Ben Kelly. And if you know, you know, or the Beauchamp's margarita, because can you ever go wrong with a margarita? Of course, if it's summer and you're feeling a little frisky, a bushwhacker cannot be beat. And if you feel like you may find your way to Destin, Florida anytime soon, you can follow Beauchamp's at Beauchamp's on Instagram. Miller Phillips, I love you. And I love Beauchamp's. Okay, so I was excited to sit down with my next guest because I have known him for a while now. And each time I have a conversation with him, I feel like I learn something new or something surprising about him. And this time was no different. He's the winner of Top Chef season six. And before that, he had an impressive resume, including working for Master Chef Peter Timmons, Chef Charlie Palmer, and the great Jose Andres. In my conversation with him, we discuss his career highs and lows, what he's learned in his 20 plus year culinary career, and how he's navigating his life now. So please enjoy my conversation with Michael Voltaggio. Yeah, I was, I was laughing that my mom was like, who's your next guest? And I said, I was like, oh, I have Michael Voltaggio I'm interviewing this week. And she goes, oh, that's a big deal, right? <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, it is, mom. You're right. No, no. And then I was laughing also because I text Susan something about um, I guess your address or something about us coming here. And my phone automatically auto, auto-corrects your name to be all caps. 
So it's like the whole phone, the whole text is lowercase and it's like Voltaggio. And I'm like, oh, so my mom and my phone both know this is a really big deal. (laughs) It like really made me laugh. There's certain words like in my phone that are all capped because of like one time that I wrote something like, and I was like, damn, I must've been so mad that day. Yes. I was thinking it's gotta be a work thing because with a lot of my work stuff, when it's like the chef's name, I keep it all caps and then I write stuff about you underneath it or something yeah. in my, so I'm like, it's gotta be like from Google docs maybe, or like, it's crazy how that shit just like, it's all intertwined. I know. Um, no, but I was excited to have you because obviously we've worked together for a couple of years now in the culinary competition world, but I'm like, who is Michael Voltaggio outside yeah. of that? I feel like I know a lot of your... That's the question. That is the question. I know your culinary achievements, but um, tell me about... You're obviously from the East Coast. Tell me like where you grew up and what was baby Michael like? Uh, I grew up in Maryland. I moved out of my house uh, when I was 16. Oh. Yeah. I was still in high school. Um, like moved out of your parents' house? Yeah. So like, you know, everyone has their like sort of stories when they were kids, but like my, my parents were separated and divorced when I was very young. And then, um, life happened, you know, a lot of different life things happened. And, and I was in a situation, um, where my brother was old enough to move out. My sister was living with my mother and I was, uh, at home with my father who I hadn't lived with up until like recently in that time, meaning right. like I lived with my mom until I was like 12 or 13 and then moved in with my dad and like that just didn't go real well. Oh. And so, um, I was working at a holiday inn and for my brother in the kitchen, in the kitchen and like, you know, some, some shit popped off at home where, you know, I needed to make some decisions. And so I, my brother had left Frederick, Maryland, where we were living to go move and work somewhere else. And he had an apartment and I was in high school and I had a full-time job. Like I would go to school, go to football practice and then go to work and work full time. So like I would get home every night at like 11 or midnight and then get up and do the whole process all over again. And so then I was just like, you know what? I'll just go get my own apartment. So I was in high school, like living on my own, working full time. With Brian or by yourself? No, I was by myself. Brian had left. So I took his apartment because he had a lease. And back then it was like, you know, you stress, you're not making any money. Brian was like, I have this lease, but I need to take this job. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, this is kind of perfect timing because I'm in sort of an uncomfortable situation personally where like, I just didn't feel good being at like the, 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 the dynamic was like kind of toxic, you know, and and it wasn't doing anything for me personally, except I just found myself like getting in trouble and like all that sort of stuff. So I just, um, I don't know if it was like a mutual decision or I was asked to leave, but I (laughs) definitely didn't feel like I had a home when I was like 16. Yeah. And you were, you weren't going to watch your mom. You were just like, I'm just going to go. I mean, my mom was like navigating through, you know, sort of her own challenges at that time. And so she obviously, and has always, and to this day still does do everything she can for us. You know, we were always her priority. And so, but during that particular time, uh, the, the resources just weren't available for like, for all of us to be with her. And so, um, it sort of, was what it was at the time. And I just, that's why I started working so hard. 
Like I, I realized like at a very young age, like if I wanted to do and have certain opportunities in my life that I had to, had to go get them. God, that's crazy. When, so when you were, I mean, you mentioned football, which what you were on the football team in high school. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was the kicker. Oh, that's amazing. I don't know why I guess like looking at the Michael Voltaggio now, I can't picture it. Yeah. It was weird because I was like not a jock in school, but I was pretty good at kicking football through the goalpost. So I, I was a starter on the team in that position to the point where like, I thought I would go to college and like do that. Oh, wow. Continue on down that path. But, um, I just realized like cooking for me was like, I know everyone's like, Oh, the only safe place was in the kitchen and blah, blah, blah. But it was like, for me, that was the only real opportunity that I felt like was, was like at my fingertips that I could, I could build something out of. Yeah. And so I wasn't going to be like an NFL football player and I wasn't really focused on academia and that at that time at all, like I wasn't a good student. I mean, I, you know, I actually got on the honor roll, I think my last semester of high school, just so my mom could read my name in the newspaper like once, you know, but outside of that, so sweet. like I got like a, I don't know, a 2.0, one point, whatever grade point average or whatever was relevant. I think my SAT scores were like, like, sure, you can graduate with us. (laughs) I think they just wanted to get rid of me. I think I missed like 58 days my senior year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cause I didn't have to go to school. Like I I was going to say, if you're, if you're moving out because you don't feel like you have a, a home, like with one of your parents and you're living on your own, it would have been really hard for me at that age, I think, to discipline myself. I mean, how, were you in trouble all the time or were you well, like, I, was I have just, a job? I was and I wasn't like I was busy. And I think that's where like, you know, everyone's like, the kitchen saved me. Like I was, I, I had now bills. I had to pay rent. Right. Um, and my mom and, and my stepfather were sort of helping me with that at the time too. But it, it was more or less like sink or swim. And I was like, all right, well, I have school, which I'm not going to not graduate high school. Yeah. I have this job, which I deeply care about because it's helping me afford my life. And then football was like this. It sort of fell last because it wasn't, it couldn't be a priority at right. the time. And so, yeah, I just stayed in the kitchen. Were you like a bad boy in high school or just like your average, like didn't really care about school and was kind of getting by or like, what was your vibe? Like, if you had to stereotype yourself, like those like lifetime movies of like the jock, the bad boy, like what were you? I was probably like the, the, the person that was sort of connected through every social circle, but didn't really fall into one particular one. So it was like the football players were my friends because I played football, but like I was also the one that they went and got weed from (laughs) because I was the only one on the team that was, you know, probably doing that at the time. So it was like, but like my practice was set, like I practiced in the game stadium and they all practiced on the regular field. Right. And so I, you know, may or may not have sometimes like taken like a hallucinogenic and went to football practice by myself in the stadium and kicked footballs. And I like that was just sort of like, I mean, I don't know. I always because of how I was sort of I don't want to say like self-medicating, but yeah. like navigating through high school, I knew that like ultimately I was going to have to be doing something creative because that's just how my brain was functioning at that time. Yeah. So you like kind of always knew like that was what you were tapping into always was like creativity. It's where I felt the most comfortable. Like if I had stress or felt a type of way about certain stuff, like 
I could go and make something and that was fulfilling me. Like one of my jobs at the Holiday Inn was to make the, uh, they used to do like those big poached salmon platters, which is very old school where you see the whole fish on the platter and then you created all these decorations around it. And so I was like making ducks out of yellow squash and like palm trees out of a carrot and a green pepper. And like, (laughs) and like I would see that and be like, damn, I just made that. Like I couldn't draw, I can't sing or play musical instruments or anything like that. And so I was like, this is sort of my, my outlet to be creative, but also to like bury everything mentally and emotionally into something and then take that energy and create something out of it. And so, and then I got to do like, and again, this was the holiday Inn, but back then it wasn't, they weren't like using prepackaged food at the holiday Inn. they were like, like there was a restaurant, you know, and like, it wasn't five star or whatever but it was like tonight you're responsible for like the pasta special what are you gonna make and I was like wait I get to create and I'm like 16 years old I like I get to create the pasta special for the restaurant tonight it was like 10.99 or whatever the cost was but it was like okay like I got penne pasta and pepperoni and like this and that and like I'm gonna put something together and like I felt so empowered to like get to be able to do that and that I just wanted to keep doing that. And again, like my, my, my mother is one of the most incredible human beings on the planet. And like she, it was just a time in life where, you know, decisions had to be made. Yeah. And like, it was either sit back and, and, and sort of feel sorry for your, for yourself or like, cause every kid goes through some sort sure. of something. And it's almost like how you take those situations and handle them and what you do to get past it. And my mom has just always been this like source of strength that I like, if she's as strong as she is, no matter what happens in life, like I can do that. And I have that part of her in me. And so that's going to be more of the reason like why I want to be successful. And then I had kids. And so it was like, it was like, okay, now I'm, I'm now I left, I left the holiday Inn and went to the, well, I worked at a country club in, in Maryland as a sous chef. And I think I was now 20 years old at the time, 19 or 20, graduated high school, bought myself a motorcycle and was, and was commuting from Frederick, Maryland to Montgomery County, Maryland, which is about 35 miles or whatever. And I had now this job where I was the sous chef of a fancy country club. And I just kept managing to like put myself in situations like that. And the chef there was like, I was like, listen, I can do this for a year, but I want to save my money and go to culinary school because that's what I want to do. And my brother had then at the time enrolled at the CIA, which is the Culinary Institute of America. Yeah. And I was like, okay. The guy was like, well, I can help you with that. Or you work for me for a year and we'll get you into this apprenticeship program at the Greenbrier Hotel. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure, whatever. And then a year later, I was uh, driving to West Virginia, like on Christmas Eve. Yeah to audition to get a spot in this apprenticeship. So you obviously learned how prestigious and exciting that opportunity was. I did, but more importantly, I was like, you know, is this an opportunity for me to not have to go in debt and pay for culinary school? And is this going to be better training? And when they called me, they were like, when can you come down? I'm like tomorrow. And they're like, well, that's Christmas Eve. And I'm like, well, aren't you guys busy? Isn't that the best time for me to like see if I fit in. And they were like, okay, come down. I went down. I drove straight there four hours. I worked the entire service. I think they did like 1200 covers that night and then burned the shit out of myself, got in my car, drove back home and made it home in time for like Christmas morning with my mom. And, um, and I didn't, I, I didn't get the, I didn't get the spot. They called me and they were like, look, we really liked you, but we, we think you should come work here for a year and then we'll let you in the program 
And I'm like, I don't have time for that. Like, I, I need to get in right now. I need to do this now. And then the hotel called me back like two or three months before I was supposed to leave to go to culinary school in San Francisco. And they were like, hey, we decided to give you a spot. So I was like, all right, okay, cool, cool. I got to get out of this culinary school thing. I got to break up with my girlfriend and I got to move to West Virginia. <laughs> oh and that's gosh. what I did. That was what I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Wait, okay. I have so many questions, I feel like. So you were with your high school girlfriend from high school until you were 20 something? No, I was, uh, we dated, I was a senior, junior, senior. And then I, I no, I was 19. Yeah, yeah, I was 19 years old. And then you broke up with her, left, didn't go to culinary school and went and did your apprenticeship. At the Greenbrier Hotel, yeah. Oh and I think God. I was like one of the youngest to like go into that program. And it was like these, there was dudes, like people there, chefs there that were like, had worked there for 30 years. And like, I mean, it was gnarly. Like they were like, and you, and that, that hotel one, it was like the first exposure to like luxury I'd ever seen. Like yeah. I didn't know anything about what fancy was. Like I'd never, not as a, as a consumer or a customer or a guest, like I never got to experience any of that. And then to be thrown into it at that level and having, like, I thought I was so cool. Like I worked at the Holiday Inn and Manor Country Club. Like I know how to do everything and I'm a sous chef. And I got there and they were like, boy, you don't know shit. Yeah. And like, and then I was making like $11 an hour there and in my apprenticeship. So I was like, okay, this is cool. At least I'm sort of getting paid to go to school. I about to say, you were getting paid when people were like in debt from their- But $11 an hour. Yeah. I still had rent, still had a car payment and was still only making $11.12 $11 an hour to be specific. Oh my gosh. So then I would go to the bar- which I don't think I was old enough to get into at the time, but I had my brother's ID and I would play like Kino to make money to like pay my rent. And then like just do whatever I had to do to be able to stay in that program. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I ended up uh, ha having a child. And so I was now 20, 20 and I found out that uh, the, the girl that I was dating at the time was, was pregnant. And so, while you're in the apprenticeship? Making $11.12 an hour. And were you freaking out? No, I mean, I didn't freak out. I had to f figure it out. And um, like in the winter time when the hotel would sort of close up and they wouldn't have business, I would s stay and like work in a deer po processing plant for like the local butcher oh, that wow. also worked at the hotel. And so then I would picture me like standing in a walk-in refrigerator in the mountains wearing coveralls and gloves as people rolled up with dead animals strapped to their car <laughs> and I'm there like butchering this meat to get paid, you know, so that I could have money to like take care of my daughter and my responsibility. Were there. they in Virginia? Yeah, they were in West Virginia. West Virginia. And uh, so like, I mean, lunch was like a, we would use the deer carcasses as a table and like eat a pot of beans and eat cornbread and sit outside. And like, that was, you know, you just do what you got to do, right. you know? And so for me, a lot of the, the, the way I got, I guess the point is the way I got into the industry was I needed to do what I had to do. Right. But then I started to realize like I'm already in my career and I'm 20 years old. When you went into that apprenticeship, you were saying like you had come thinking, you know, I was a sous chef at a country club. Did you go in cocky and like get knocked down or did you go in like ready to learn and then also realize you didn't know anything? No, I went in cocky and arrogant and they just beat it down to nothing to the point where I would call my mother and be like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, this is crazy. Like I, the way they treat us, like not treat us, but like it was a different mentality back then. Like, yeah, 
overtime wasn't an issue. People weren't as budget conscious as they are today. And like the job just had to get done in a place like that. It was like, okay, we would work split shifts, meaning like you would come in and work breakfast at five 30 in the morning. You would get off at 1130 AM and then have to come in and set up dinner at 4:30 PM and do the dinner service. So how old were you when your first daughter was born? Uh, I, th- she was born I turned 21 in September. She was born in July. So oh I was 21. Yeah. She's in med school right now. Yeah, that's crazy. So when was your second daughter born? Uh, five years later. Were you with this? Like, were you all together this whole time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and then at one point, um, my career started going all these different directions. I graduated the apprenticeship, blah, blah, blah. Took a job uh, in Florida. Was working at the Ritz-Carlton in Naples um, and stayed there for a pretty long time. But sort of to trace back to like the person that really taught me how to cook in the beginning, it was Peter Timmons. Mm-hmm. And like he was this Irish master chef that came to the U.S. and took over this grand resort and like kind of took me under his wing and yeah. just taught me not not just like how to be more mature and professional, but like how to be a chef. Like, right. like you have to memorize the first 128 pages of a scoffier and you have to like you have to know more than everyone around you or else you're never going to go as far as you want to go. And so I just kept that mentality with me for now, the next steps of my career and moving forward and even like in perpetuity, like that's how I still operate to this day is as a student. And so like I went to the Ritz Carlton worked there, um, you know, did some good things down there. And then, uh, I, I sort of the chef that I was working under there left and a new chef came in and we didn't get along. Oh, really? And, and yeah, and so I was, by that point, had earned my way up to head chef of the fine dining restaurant, like the the signature restaurant in the hotel. I was the chef of that restaurant in my early 20s, like running a tasting menu restaurant that was like, at the time, AAA, Five Diamond was right. important, blah, blah, blah. We had all those awards. And we got this some time off in the summer to go off and travel and, 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 and like the, it was seasonal. So the restaurant closed and I could go do things. So I was like, okay. Uh, I want to go work at the French Laundry during the summer. Oh, yeah. And so um, I managed to get in touch with the team there and got to go spend a couple months out there. And we had a deal at the hotel. While I was gone, they were going to renovate the restaurant and make it more modern and less, like, old. Yeah, like stuffy. And so I came back after my stage, which was at my expense. I went and paid my own rent and, like, live and like left my children behind and went and did this thing to go learn more from, you know, the French Laundry team. And so when I, I got back, nothing, they didn't do anything to the restaurant to like renovate it. They did nothing they said they were going to do. So I was like, well, it doesn't cost money. So what I did was I ripped all the banquettes off the walls. This was at the Ritz Carlton hotel, like pulled the furniture out, went up, went to different levels of the hotel and took different pieces of furniture. Like I wanted to create like a reception area in the restaurant. So when guests arrive, like you could break the ice a little bit and like welcome them with a cocktail and blah, blah, blah. So like Michael, you're like ripping banquettes from the wall. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I just, like, I did all that, and uh, I was like, look, see, like, it just takes some good ideas. Now, can you guys sort of just finish finish this, you know? Like, let's do something with the space. the demo that I started. I I was like, you need art. Like, call local artists and use this as a way to promote people in the community, get musicians to come in and play. Like, make this restaurant a part of Naples, Florida, you know? And, um... And I just, I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. And so anyway, uh, I, I then was really frustrated and they were like, we're not really going to do all that, blah, blah, blah. So, 
uh, I uh, called my brother and Charlie Palmer was looking for a chef in Hillsburg. And so I just like dipped and moved to Hillsburg and, and took over Dry Creek Kitchen and lived in Hillsburg for a couple of years and left the Ritz Carlton. And that chef that was there still tells people that he like fired me. And I don't, I don't know why he gets some kind of satisfaction out of saying that. Um, but it was like one yeah, of those, funny. he was one of those guys that like got to a level in his career where he was like a master chef, blah, blah, blah. But then like he put a suit on and became like a food and beverage director type and like stopped supporting the creative efforts of right. a chef. And was just business, business, business. And I just remember like this dude and being just like, what a sellout. Like what, what happened? You know, like right. why, why am I fighting with you for me to be able to do my job better? Like you understand where I'm yeah, coming like he from. You should get it. And like for him, it was more important to be like, I fired that guy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, no, you didn't. I, Charlie Palmer called and offered me a better opportunity where he was going to support me as a chef. Right. And so then I realized then if I want to be a chef, like all the chefs that I admire, I have to go work for those guys. Yeah. And uh, was Brian working for Charlie? Brian time? was working for Charlie, and uh, I was a lot for Charlie. <laughs> I was. You don't say. <laughs> I yeah I uh, I got to Healdsburg and um, you know I just sort of observed the kitchen for like a couple weeks and didn't really touch any of the food that was being cooked there. I mean, Charlie is an incredible chef, but he's also like an incredible resource for anyone to learn how to become like a chef owner and operator, right. like what it takes to actually run a successful business. I mean, Oriole in New York, that brand still lives to this day. You know, yeah. Charlie is one of the people that paved the way, I think for like young American chefs to like really thrive in the industry. And Charlie was friends with all the guys back in the day, like Danielle Ballou and all those guys, like right. early on, you know, Charlie, Charlie earned his place in that sort of circle of the who's who of the culinary community. So I was like, I need to work for somebody like that. Yeah. And so I was there and I just remember one night I was like, all right, I looked at my sous chef that I inherited and I was like, tomorrow's we start the new menu. And he's like, what? And we just went into the walk-in and, and, and took all the food and put it in the alley. Oh my god! And uh, and I started a new menu and we just uh, we did it and it went really well. And like Charlie was supportive of it, you know. Oh, he was? You know we he made family like, meal. Why is my walk-in in the alley? Yeah, but it was like we didn't throw the food away. I mean, we like wrote it into like family meals and stuff like that yeah. and went through it. But it was like I needed everything to be cleaned out for me to be able to start because my brain couldn't allow me to like piece it all in sure. there. I just didn't have that type of like organization yet. And so I was like, I have to like do this all over again. Like I have to start over. Yeah. And so we ended up, um, you know, getting really good reviews for the food. I think we, we got three and a half out of four stars from the Chronicle and like one Michelin star. And so, yeah, I did that and I was 26 years old. <laughs> and so we're and at this point you already had your second daughter. Yeah. And what are where what are their names? Sophia and Olivia. And they were both still in West Virginia. No, I had moved them to California at that time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But and then, their mom? Yeah. And then uh like no one was extremely happy out there. I was because I did what I always do. I right. buried myself at work. Like I was like to me it didn't matter where I lived because everywhere just looked like the inside of a kitchen. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, whatever my job was I put all the time that I could physically handle into that, into that job, you yeah. know? And so I, uh, and then, uh, my buddy had just gotten a job as a pastry chef with Jose Andres. Uh. 
And that's what happened. And, and so, that's what happened. Uh, Jose's team called. They were like, hey, we've got this restaurant we're building in L.A. Can you drive to D.C. and do a tasting for Jose? And so I drove straight there, cooked lunch for Jose and his creative team. And Jose sat me down and was like, okay. I thought I was auditioning, like trying out for like to be the chef of just the fine dining restaurant, which was going to live in the back of what was called the Bazaar by Jose Andres which was like a small little like 20 seat kind yeah. of 40 seat situation. Jose was like, okay, I'm going to offer you the position of executive chef. And I'm like, cool, great. And he's like of the bazaar. And I'm like, wait, like the entire thing. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, holy shit. Like, I don't know how to do that. And, but I was like, that's the type of person I want to work for. I then went and worked, uh, for Jose and, um, like, my eyes just opened up, you know, I was like, wow, this, uh, this is incredible. You know, Jose's team was so ahead of their time. And like, the only reason we didn't do something was because we didn't think of it. You know, there was no, no, there was no, no. And, and whatever came out of Jose's mouth, a lot of times you're like, wow, that's one of the craziest things I've ever heard. But if anyone's going to make it happen, it's him. And so you're like, I just, I just want to be a part of this. And so we built this team. We opened this amazing restaurant um, I moved now by myself to, at this time to, uh, Los Angeles. And this was right before my 30th birthday. Wow. And I remember being in LA and we were cooking a dinner at Spago with Jose and like his team and Wolfgang Puck and blah, blah, blah. Like all these people were there and we made this incredible dish. And then, uh, it was my birthday and Sherry Yard had made me like a birthday cake. She was the pastry chef at Spago back then. And like Robin Leach was there hosting the event that night, oh, wow. but they all sang happy birthday to me. And I'm like, now I'm like, holy shit. I'm like third, turning 30. I'm in Beverly Hills with Jose Andres and Wolfgang Puck cooking at Spago. And Robin Leach is singing happy birthday to me. Like I'm going in the right direction. <laughs> like yeah, but it's Sarah, you fine. Like pinch me like this is yeah. clearly a dream. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, it's like you're coming up and you're like, think of all these times in your life where you met and saw that one famous yes. person. And mine was like that night, you know, I was like, and, and then, and then I just got absorbed into LA, you know, and that was just an into Jose's sort of creative process, which inspired me to just think so differently across the board. And it wasn't because the thing about Jose is everyone thinks about the modern food, like mini bar and this and that mm-hmm. and El Bulli and his link lineage to those guys. And just like, but Jose's passion really was in like traditional Spanish tapa, yeah. but also like about everyone just having a different experience when they go out to dinner. And I was like, how do I learn that? And yeah. so, um, the modern food I was learning because it was part of our daily, but like be able to create an environment and experience and like really realize that. And, and it sort of brought me back to that time that I ripped all the furniture off the walls at the Ritz Carlton. <laughs> I was like, it's not just about what goes right on the plate. It's about every single part of the experience from the time they pick up the phone to make a reservation to the time they leave. Those sure. people are your responsibility. Like it's your job to make sure they feel stimulated and yeah. inspired and, and, and they feel value when they come through. And so Jose just did all of that. I mean, I appreciate your creative vision in that sense because there's places I, I'm like, I really want, I really like that dish, but that's not the vibe of the place I want to go to right now. Like if the ambiance isn't right, or yeah. I'm like, that's good, but they don't have a good wine menu and I'm going to want wine tonight. It's like when you make everything go together and it, there's ambiance, there's a good menu, like the chef, like it's just, it's a whole different experience when you can go to one place and enjoy all aspects. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and like people ask me what my favorite restaurants are all the time, and like my go-to restaurant in LA is like I eat at Craig's all the time because yeah. I know Craig, and every yeah. time I go there, he gives me a hug, and like we, I eat the same dish. I get a shrimp cocktail, and for my main course, I get the barramundi, which comes with piccata sauce. I get it on the side and sautéed spinach, and like I have a couple martinis, and like I know exactly, like yeah. I just love the experience. Yeah. You know, I'm comfortable there. Yeah. And that it's not that that experience is for everyone, but that level of comfort, I think, is for everyone. Yeah. And that's what hospitality is all about. And just so but then I'm working for Jose. We had just gotten the four star review from Irene at the L.A. Times and Bazaar was like thriving. I mean, this place yeah. was it was the spot in L.A. And so uh, and then uh, Marcel, who came from Top Chef, was my sous chef at the time. And he had already done his Top Chef thing. And I'd seen it and I knew who he was. And at that time, Marcel, and still to this day, like he was, he was very like recognizable yeah. as being a chef from television because that's when Top Chef was like first really taking off yeah. in a big way. And Marcel was just getting recognized by every single person that came in the restaurant. Jose and I would be standing on the pass and like the chefs and like a lot of guests were just coming up, Marcel, Marcel, Marcel. And so we were always like kind of hard on Marcel about that because Marcel was actually a great sous chef, yeah. you know? But because he had done that, he sort of was living this double life. Yeah. It was like, I'm Marcel who just wants to be a sous chef at work and do the best job I can. But it's an open kitchen in Los Angeles that's highly recognizable. And there's a lot of people here. And so now I got to be Marcel. So it was almost like he had to like sneak around to right. be who he, who he was on television to not disrespect Jose and in, in, in the restaurant. Yeah. And so... I was like, you know, we all we all gave him a hard time. And Marcel was like, well, if you think it's all so easy, why don't you do it? And I'm like, all right, I will. Who do I got to talk to? And like, then I was like, okay, uh, reached out to the producers. I'm like, I want to try out for Oh, you did? Yeah. And so uh, I didn't think it was going to go so far. And then when they called me, they were like, hey, uh, you know, we uh, got your package or whatever. You know, we're interested, but you have a brother too, right? And I was just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> You're here like, this go. is about to be a whole thing. And so Brian, they requested that he, you know, sort of go through the same casting process. We all had to submit. Everyone has to submit everything the same exact way. Was because Brian like, what are you doing to me, dude? At the time, we were just like, this is very risky because my career up until that point had nothing to do with TV. It was all about going and working for the best chefs that I can work for in the best restaurants and becoming like I wanted to be like one of those famous chefs. Yeah. Like I, that's not, not for the fame part of it, but because like I, I wanted to cook at a level that was a bit higher than the level everyone else was cooking. Right. At. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to go to New York and have a restaurant and like do yeah. all that, you know? And so I was like, but there's something about this TV thing that I think is going to do a lot for our industry. And so, you know, at the risk of being those guys from top chef, which in some cases we still are, yeah. Our goal was like, we were very serious chefs up until that point. And not that being on TV is not serious, but like making that decision at that time would be viewed by some in our industry as like selling out. Yeah. Like you didn't know what it was going to do. So it was like a risk to be like, are we going to be those people who sell out? Are we going to be those people who make a fool of ourselves on reality TV? Brian and I were like, I wonder if we show up and just cook the same way we cook at work and we do our best to not get involved in any of the drama. Yeah. What if we just try that? And, um, you know, I, I remember when we were filming it, the producers were very like not satisfied with us. Like they, you know, can you guys talk more in the interviews? Like we do that in the interview. Like, yeah. can you say more about this? Can we would just be like, no, I'm not doing that. Or like, 
you know, they would lock us, you know, in what was called the stew room after we would wrap uh, a scene, a, wrap a scene. After we would finish competing, <laughs> you know, we would all sit in this room and there, you know, there'd be piles of alcohol and stuff in the middle of the room and they would line the walls with cameramen and microphones and stuff and just wait for drama to pop off. Yeah. Eventually somebody's going to get tired. Eventually somebody's going to get mad. Eventually somebody's going to get drunk and eventually something's going to be said that we can use that's going to be gold. Right. And so I got hip to that real fast and like I would do stuff like, Yo, what if we all just put our heads in our laps and go to sleep? Don't touch the alcohol. Don't talk to each other and go to sleep. So we'd be sitting in the room and put our heads on. And they'd be like, uh, I don't know. They're all just sort of putting their heads in their laps and they're not saying anything. Like, what do you want us to do? And then, like, the producers would come in and be like, come on, guys. Like, just talk about what just happened today. And we can wrap this up and you guys can go home. I mean, and as so a producer, that gives me great anxiety. <laughs> so I feel for them, but I also feel for you. But what's funny then is that I was, again, still that cocky, arrogant sort of asshole that didn't see the value. To me, I was in a cooking competition that happened to be on TV. Right. Fast forward to today where it's like, okay, how do we make the best possible TV show? Because then the dynamic or the, the idea, the discipline of taking care of the guest to me started to translate into anything that I was doing on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like no different than them coming into the restaurant and giving them a great experience. I need to do that if I'm going to be on TV and make that a part of my career. So yeah. now I have to give them, the guests, the same level of myself that I would offer the guests coming to the restaurant, regardless of whether or not they were sitting in their living room at home. Like I owed it oh, to them. Smart. If they were going to watch me do something, I have to do it the best I possibly can. Yeah. And then, so I started learning more about how to communicate better on television and blah, blah, blah. But like, um, like while you were on Top Chef or after? Not while on, I mean, while on you sort of just by default, you, you lose all the nervousness. Like yeah. dude, there's a camera in your face all the time. Like you're, you're in it. Like you're getting filmed, everything, making breakfast, whatever. And like, but then I, so I got all the way through and I, and I made it to the finale and blah, blah, blah. And I won. And, and, and so then, um, I love that you think we're skirting over that, but keep going. Well, cause that part of it like was a huge part of my career, but it was a big turning point for me because I went back to Jose. When I left to go do Top Chef, he wasn't happy with me because this restaurant had just gotten a review. It was really busy. And he basically was like, how, you know, you're, you're sort of leaving a newborn child in the middle of the street. Like, right. how do you do that? And I was like, I, Jose, I really, I need to go see. Like, I need to go see if I can turn this into something because I saw what it was doing for Marcel. And I was just like, what if like somebody that's cooked at this, you know, sort of tried to get to the highest level in their career, but then was like, can TV and this type of cooking right. mix together? You know, can it, can it be okay? And you know, there's always the haters. Like there's a lot of chefs that never went down that route, which is funny because a lot of those guys today, you're, they're on Instagram right now. Like, I'm making this new dish at home. And right. you're like, you were one of the ones that was talking shit back when I did Top Chef, yeah. but like now you're at home trying to create content because you're, they're wondering why people are getting these opportunities. Right. And, and I felt like chefs, because of programs like Top Chef, started reaching much bigger audiences and creating a much bigger curiosity for, oh, yeah. for, for like another level of food that would have been considered like too bougie or too yeah. fine dining or too weird. Like here's a platform where people are seeing it and they're like, huh, I want to go try that. Right. And then Food Network, like with Iron Chef and like these programs were coming out where people were like, that looks bomb. Like yeah. I want to try that. And so it was bringing people back into the restaurants and allowing more restaurants to open. And I think really television is a big part of why the curiosity in this country expanded 
the way it did and as fast as it did because they yeah. were seeing it at home on TV. Like you like turn on Food Network and you're like, there's Morimoto like right. cutting up a whole tuna and turning it into 10 different dishes in an hour. And people were just like, did and, Jose eventually understand like you're wanting to leave and go do that? No, he didn't. He didn't not understand me wanting to go do that. He was more concerned with me leaving my job when I taken on that response. Like it was my job. It was my responsibility. Yeah. That restaurant, he trusted me and that was my responsibility. And so, um, we sort of left it open-ended. Like I'm going to, I'm chef. I really want to go do this. You know, I'll do whatever I have to do if you let me go. And so I went and did it. And when I came back, um, we had lunch at Matsuhitsa and I was like, you know, I just remember the amount of, of recognition Marcel was getting. And, and, and now the show had now even, progressed even more like bigger audience, you yeah. know, our show had won an Emmy and like it got huge, you know, I didn't want to be standing in Jose's restaurant with right. that type of distraction. And so I, I left and went to Pasadena and worked at the Langham hotel where, yeah. uh, where I, I ran like a, it was a one-star Michelin restaurant that, um, I made, I was like, I'm going to go now that I'm on TV. I felt so insecure about that. I was like, everyone's going to be like, you're that guy from top chef. And they did like, yeah. People that were my friends in the industry that aren't on television stopped being my friend, you know, that type of shit. Oh, really? Like, oh, that's that guy from Top Like, it was really like that. And I'm not, I don't feel sorry for myself because it's like you find out who your friends are when you start to do different things and people think differently of you because of the decisions that you make. Whether well, or not they felt like you like, like, why would they stop being your friend? Because you went and competed. Because when you started back then, when you were doing, I feel like when you were doing television like that at that level, like it, people didn't really understand it. Like mm. they were just like, Oh, that person just wants to be on TV. Oh, right. Like it's no longer about cooking for you. Yeah. It was not. like, Oh, that's just that person from TV. That person's a joke, you right. know? And, but no one, and no one had really known like our resume up until that point and known how much to this day we still work in our restaurants and still care yeah. about like food, like cooking food. Like I'm not just like, Oh, Got to taste the TV. Like life's yeah. going to be easy now. Like it's no, like one, you don't make a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I can't really, I'm not going to say it's not as a chef, unless you really commit to it full time and you like, like it's hard to balance all of it and maximize your earning potential. Right. If you're only doing kind of a good job in all the different things you're doing versus doing a great job in the few things that you're doing. And so when you start spreading yourself out so thin, it almost affects you negatively, you know? And it's like, how can you be on TV and be working in your restaurant? Like back then it just made no sense. Yeah. Everyone's like, well, that person's not in their restaurant. They're on TV. But like to shoot a whole TV show, it takes a month. Takes. Yeah, exactly. So vacation, yeah. you know, like you're going to go do this. In my restaurant after the show. But then everything that started happening, like after that, like I was like, you know, I, I really felt insecure. I was like, I need to go back to just cooking. I went to the Langham hotel and I was responsible, again, for a fine dining. So back to the same job I had at the Ritz-Carlton yeah. before all this started. And I was like, that's what I want to do because that was like my happiest time. Like I I was the chef of the restaurant and I can do whatever the fuck I want. Right. I get to do whatever I want. Yeah. As long as these guests feel like they're getting value for what I'm making for them. So from bread through dessert, I created everything. But like you had just won Top Chef. Did no part, of, like I know you're saying I was insecure, but no part of you wanted to go immediately like ride that high and go do something like open your own place immediately. You want to just go back to a kitchen. I, I didn't know how to do that. Oh. I didn't know, you know, all I really knew was like services at six, Go cook. get service ready, you know, get prep for service, like prep yeah. for service. And so, and I knew those opportunities were going to come, but like, 
I didn't feel like I had earned my right to take anyone's money yet just because I was like, had been on a television show. And I think that that's what happens to a lot of these, a lot of young talent. Like they get on television and then all of a sudden it's like, I'm opening a restaurant right. and I'm going to be a famous chef. But they skipped the 20 years of cooking that you need to do under really good chefs. Cause you, experience to me in this industry, like there is natural talent and abilities and blah, 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 but really going out and experiencing uh, different styles, different cuisines, different levels of stress, fine dining right. versus casual dining, like really absorbing as much information as possible. It's going to be really difficult for you just because you got a spotlight because you're on television. Yeah, I mean, winning a show doesn't teach you how to like carry a whole restaurant. No, but yet a lot of these people, once they get a chance to do that, it's immediately like, I'm a celebrity chef. And like, to me, celebrity chefs were the chefs that were famous before television was so popular. Like the like, Daniels of the world, John George, Charlie Palmer, uh, Larry Forgione back in the day. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Right. Um, Rick Tremano in Chicago. Like there's these guys, like, uh, I mean, just, I mean, the, the level of, of chefs that were out there, um, they were famous for being famous, for being chefs. For being good chefs. So yeah. those were celebrity chefs to me. And then, then it became like only people that were on TV are like celebrity chefs. And now those chefs are just called chefs now. And like right. they're, they're, and so it all got like really weird and mixed up. And so, um, yeah, I was in Pasadena working at the Langham and, um, what did your family, like, what did your mom, your sister, Brian, I mean, obviously Brian was on the show with you, but yeah. like, would your kids, your like, what were they thinking of this new, I mean, cause you were now in the spotlight on some level, you were a celebrity chef. I mean, it was weird because like, you know, that's when I sort of had been separated from my kids and like separated from that relationship. And like, and so my kids didn't really care about any of that because they just associated that with me being gone. Right. That wasn't exciting to them. Cause no. they were like, well, that's why we don't see him or don't get to spend time with him or something. Yeah. And so... You know, and to this day, I don't think my kids care or even watch a lot of the stuff that I do because they, they don't care. Yeah. They just want me, you yeah. know, and that's um, that's probably more now like where I, you know, where I could justify like I wanted to provide a certain type of life for them, which is really, again, like no different than me processing deer in the off season at the Greenbrier to make money like a job as an executive chef with a couple kids and like a whole life we weren't making the kind of money that you would, you would yeah. for the amount of hours that you would work. So I had to do other things to make more money. I mean, ultimately, like, again, that's what it really became. What, it, like what it was all about when I did stuff outside of my restaurant job, TV, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, I get $125,000 to go cook on this show for a month. If I win, like right. that's worth me trying to get it because I need that money. Like yeah. I make okay money as an executive chef, but like, it's not going to change my life. Right. And so, and I didn't never, I never saw the potential even at that time for me to open my own restaurant. So. Do you think they understand that now? Like your girls, do you think they're like aware of like the sacrifices and the things? No, nah, they don't. And they shouldn't have to, because I should have, you know, in retrospect, figured out a way to stay closer to them and like accomplish the same thing I accomplished. But I think selfishly, I made that decision because I also needed to find, I needed certain things for myself where I maybe didn't consider how it was going to make them feel, yeah. you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to LA and work for Jose Andres. Like this is life changing, you know? And like I had responsibilities at the time, meaning my two kids that I, I didn't maybe necessarily consider as much as I should have. So 
from that moment on, I was like, well, I'm just going to work so hard and get them and give them everything they want. Mm -hmm. And that's going to make it all better. And, you know, fast forward to today where, you know, I've had to do a lot of work to maintain a relationship with them because I wasn't there. Like I was taking care of them always. Like I never not took care of them. I communicated with them by phone, but like I didn't get to see them as much as I should have because I thought I was out doing something to make their life better. Right. When really, um, they just wanted me to be there, you know? Yeah. They just want like the connection. Yeah. But it was like, whether or not in my head at the time, I was like, well, no matter what town I live in, I'm working a hundred hours a week anyway. Yeah. I'm never home. I can see you on the way. Like I can still see you when I'm off or whatever. And it just, and, but then that, that, then life just got away. You know, I just got so busy because then I was like, wait, I kind of enjoy this TV thing. Like yeah. it's fun. You know, it's like, it's a different outlet for me to be creative and it's, and honestly, like it made me more excited to go back to my restaurants every time I went and did television because now I had some kind of balance. Mm-hmm. Like I was away getting paid and still kind of cooking, cooking, but then also learning stuff to bring back to the restaurant. Right. Because once you get stuck in one restaurant and that's your job, when you care so much about your work, you're like this. And mm-hmm. so like laser focus. Yeah. And I didn't have the money to go travel, like experience. And, and honestly, like I couldn't really afford to go eat at the best restaurants. And so- whether like back then you would get hooked up, like, oh, I'll go eat at this restaurant. Yeah. And maybe they'll send me a few dishes. Like <laughs> that stuff worked. But like until you had a reason to leave work, you felt obligated to be at work. Yeah. And that's just the way it was. And so when I got to Pasadena, um, I did that for a year. Uh, Brian and I started to put together some ideas to write a book and blah, blah, blah. And like I really focused on cooking. Like I left Top Chef, left the bazaar, went to this hotel in Pasadena and put my head down and just focused again on cooking like I did when I got my first job as a chef of yeah. a restaurant. And I mean, you and Brian, I feel like I've, I've obviously seen y'all together in situations and you seem like best friends, biggest cheerleader for each other, but then you beat him on top chef. Yeah. Y'all compete against each other in other shows like tournament of champions. Like what is it is I have a twin sister, older sister and a little brother. So I know like sibling dynamic. I mean, is there, at all jealousy rivalry or is it just like we're building each other up? I mean, does he hold it over your head at all that you won? No, Brian, uh, Brian is, Brian's a rock. I mean, he's one of the best technicians I've ever met. And I've said this countless, like Brian's a better, Brian's a better technician than I am. Um, but I, I feel like my creative process is different than his. And so one day where we were both running in opposite directions, even prior to top chef, but then, even more so after Top Chef, we actually, it wasn't great. Like we weren't as supportive as he was, our dynamic was off. And so- On the show or after the show? What do you mean? After the show, meaning like, okay, you know, I'm going to go do my thing. You're going to go do your thing. And we didn't really see the value in like working together. It was like, we just compete. That's now the dynamic. We're not, we're against each other, you know? And so we would do dinners together and stuff and people wanted to see us together. And we would have these charity events where people would spend a lot of money to have us come cook at their house or cook at the restaurant that he had in Maryland or whatever it was. And like, but we were always fighting, like fighting, 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 fighting. And then one day, uh, you know, after Inc, I was, and this is a bit later on, obviously, like my restaurant in LA after- Mm -hmm several years I was shutting it down and we just, we really made a decision to like, like, why are we competing against each other? Like there's enough people out there for us to compete against. What if we work together in a major like way? Like what if in in an important way, like really just work together and be partners. And so 
that started probably back in like 2017. So not that long ago. Yeah, not yeah. I don't. I think I thought it was longer. Um, Brian and I really just decided to like join forces and support each other, and so that has made life a lot better. Yeah, a lot better because we don't care. Like if I beat him, he beats me. Like every yeah. everyone's like, oh, how do you feel? Like people walk up to me sometimes because they think I'm him, and they're like, I think you should have won. Your brother's an asshole, and I'm like, you're like, oh, I think I'm the asshole. Thanks. <laughs> like oh, like. <laughs> Maybe you should watch it again. Uh, but like, you are like the, the brothers for everyone. There's like this Michael version that's a little cocky, has the tattoos, has the bad boy vibe. And then there's like Brian and his half zip and his like, you know, like, I feel like he's like technically like, you know, I just feel like it's you, you both have, you should work together. You both bring so much from different angles and also so similar. I feel like I, I could not do half the things that I do if Brian wasn't like on my team and vice versa. Like I, like if we have an event together, Brian has, he still had like a lot of our business model has changed in the sense, like how we open restaurants and stuff like yeah. that. And so like Brian, but Brian through all of this has still managed to keep the same space where he originally opened his first restaurant. And so, um, Brian still goes there. At, Is that Volt? And now called Thatcher and Rye, but it's in oh, the yeah. same space. Okay. Like it was, you know, got he got out of one partnership and into another, but kept the same restaurant and changed the name. And that's in Maryland. He's that's still in, in Maryland. In our hometown, like yeah. in Frederick, Maryland. Yeah. And so, um, you know, if I have like an event on the East Coast, Brian will facilitate and organize the production of all of that. And so we can, and we can talk, to, like when I'm talking to Brian, I can be like, yeah, we should make uh, the banana polenta for this, for this dinner that we're doing. He's like, all right, yeah, it's in the repertoire. And so we have over the years compiled this database of thousands of recipes that we've written together yeah. and from chefs that we've worked with and like blah. And so we have this like where we can talk to each other and there doesn't need to be any real explanation. Yeah. Like if I say to Brian, you know, we're going to do this dish, this dish and this dish we have a few conversations about it and then I, I show up and it's all prepped and ready to go. Or if he's coming out here, like I sort of do the same thing yeah. for him. And like, so now it's getting easier and we're like, well, we could work half as hard or accomplish twice as much. Let's accomplish twice as much. Like let's go out and right. see and do it. how much we can do. If you go open up one a one-off restaurant, you now have a crash course in business. Like when I opened mm -hmm. Inc, my first restaurant, like I was human resources, I was maintenance, I was you know accountant, yeah. I was everything, and I never learned all of that. Like I had done bits and pieces of it for other people in other restaurants, but I never really learned all that, and I didn't go to college, so it was like I got to figure this out. Right. Um. But I realized like that part of 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 the part of that part of owning a restaurant wasn't something that, um, I, I, I felt like anything distracting me from being able to like create a dish was not what I should be doing, yeah. you know? And like, um, the restaurant that we had on Melrose ran its course and was very successful. And there was an opportunity where the landlord had sort of, um, wanted to renegotiate the lease. And my partner at the time, who was, a huge supporter of mine, um, who was Mike Ovitz. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he's an art collector and he, he again was like another one of those people that just got behind me and was just like, look, whatever you need, I got you. And yeah. so he sort of, we, we, he, he supported me like that. And so he let me just be a chef, you know, and like put the right infrastructure around me. We had, you know, the accountants and we had, we had the things were in place for yeah. the restaurant 
to allow me to do what I needed to do, which was cook the best food I could, I could for our guests. And Mike was there to support me through that. Yeah. And so, um, and that's why I left Pasadena. His office had called and he had this restaurant space and I met with him and we talked and we, we, uh, we opened a restaurant. Um, I remember negotiating with him and, and he's, you know, notorious for being like a really solid negotiator. And, uh, I remember one time he said to me, he's like, I negotiated the sale of Universal Studios and that was easier than getting one restaurant deal with you. And I was just like, holy shit, he <laughs> negotiated a deal with like Universal. Like, I was like, like why what was a, it so hard? I, well, because I didn't, I, I didn't know what I was asking for yeah. and I didn't know what I wanted, but like, I just knew that I wanted him, I wanted to have someone because I didn't want to be ripping banquettes off the walls, yeah. you know, <laughs> like at the Ritz. So I was like, I really just want the money to be wired and I want to be able to just build the restaurant however I want. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? Fine. And he did it. He, he, he sent the money to an account. Uh, we had an accountant that managed it with me, but like he didn't interfere and he just allowed me to do whatever I want. And I got to open my first restaurant with, with a decent amount yeah. of money behind me to be able to do it the right way. And so we got really creative and I was like, I had worked in like all these kind of fine dining restaurants that were pretty expensive and stuff. And like, I was like, I wonder if we can make that type of food more available and more accessible to more people and like do it at a lower price point. So let's make a rest. And I, at the time been pretty good friends with John and Vinny and I was sort of watching their business model and they do just that. Like John and Vinny are incredible chefs. And, yeah. you know, I got along really well with them because they had a similar sort of trajectory, except they were those guys from TV, but then quickly changed that narrative and became the most, two of the most important chefs ever in Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, and they never really went back to the TV stuff. Mm -mm. And Mike Ovitz gave us the money and like, it was off to the races. Like we yeah. opened up Inc, which um, was was around for like six or seven years. It was very good. I went. Thanks. And, uh, and it was just a dream situation. You know, here's a guy who... Uh, loves art, collects art, believes in artists, represented artists his entire career and and now was in, in my corner, you know, and supporting me to to help fulfill my dream. And yeah. like, we did it, you know? I feel like you have this like common through line from talking about back when you were 16, trying to like create things at the Holiday Inn, poached salmon platter to even now, like when you show up on set and I'm like, your hair is blue. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I'm trying something out. Like you have creativity just like running through your veins. Like that seems to be like the most, no matter what you're doing, whether you're cooking, whether whatever it is, I feel like creativity is your through It's line. weird because I feel like if, like, like I was having this conversation last night, like imagine just being able to say whatever you feel whenever you feel it, right? Oh, what a gift. Like, <laughs> and- and, and, and again, I think that, you know, you have to be conscious of how certain things you say affect others and, and that, like all that. But like, but then for me, it's like, imagine just doing whatever you feel like doing without thinking of like today, I want my hair to be, it's not because I'm trying to be like, like I better dye my hair blue today or no one's going to notice me. Like, yeah. it's more like, you know what? Fuck it. I feel like doing it. And like, I have had to work really hard in my life to not have to go to a job that regulated like how I looked or how I acted or like all that stuff. I just sort of like ended up in a place where like, I, I think I only own one suit and like I bought it because I had to go to that one wedding or whatever. Yeah. And like it's still the suit that I have, you know? And it's like, maybe if I change the shirt, I can wear that to like a different thing. Like, it's like, I don't, 
I don't wake up and dress up, you know what yeah. I mean? I, and, and, and I have a pretty good life. And so I don't question myself when I think of stuff that I want to do spontaneously because I think that that would actually make me less authentic. And yeah. I think that people see the things that I do to myself and think I'm not authentic, you know, but it's like, that's just how I feel right now, yeah. you know? And that's just, and I think that like the hospitality industry has become so critical of each other that I think the hypocrisy of that is so crazy to me because um, like, who cares what, how, what, if I leave, if I, I was in a respected restaurant working for a respected chef to go do top chef, that shouldn't have labeled me any differently than what I was before I did right. that. But then there's this like, weird kind of thing that happens in our industry where there's like you know the boys and girls club over here and the boys and girls club over here and like this group of chefs talk shit about this group and these guys are the real chefs in the u.s and those guys are on tv and these guys are the best chefs in the world and fuck those guys and it's like we all work in the hospitality yeah. industry you know and if you can't not talk shit about other people that you work in the industry with why are you working in an industry where it's your job to take care of people if we can't take care of each other? And so wow. a lot of my, I just, I just started just to ignore it because people talk mad shit on me. Like, you know, if I go on my, and again, it doesn't bother me at all. Like, in fact, sure, I'm yeah. also of the mindset, like if they're not talking shit about you, they don't care about you. So it's like, whatever. <laughs> what but is like, that? Like no PR is bad PR or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, why, why don't we put that energy into, into supporting each other right now, especially because our industry just got fucked, you know, as yeah. did many industries. Like this one is still getting impacted. Inflation is crushing before it was like we can't open because of covid but but the backlash of all of that is yeah. making things much harder i'm so grateful how the industry has evolved because of you know things like television entertainment and podcasts and whatever it is right. it's like there's so many things have contributed to the success of a lot of people just by sparking up that curiosity and and opening up the diner's eyes a little bit yeah. more, you know? And like, I mean, like even Instagram, when that people started photographing their food, I mean, that sparked so much more curiosity for people to want to go, even if it was like street meat in New York to fine dining here, this tasty menu here. I think that's, you know, also helped change the game for the diners, like to want to go try those things where a lot of people would normally not feel the need to go try the latest and greatest restaurant. Now they kind of want to get out there. Yeah, for sure. And I think that there was a lot of, people in the industry, the, the culinary industry that, or the hospitality industry even, that just sort of looked down at that, you know, and they were like, well, we're not about that. And but, right. but now, like, when COVID happened, it was like the only way for you to really reach people was through social media. Yeah. And so if you were now taking your restaurant and turning it into to-go meals only or whatever it was, or you're, you're, you're cooking food for first responders, like, we did a lot of that sort of stuff, like – if you didn't have a way to reach out to people because you were like, I'm not going to do social media. Right. It was, it made it more difficult, you know? And, and so like what I did a lot was like when friends of mine were like posting things on there, you know, like for instance, Jordan Kahn, he's one of the best chefs in to me, the world, like he's got Vespertine in Culver city mm -hmm. and you know, they started doing meal kits for the home and stuff like that. Like anytime, you know, he sort of posted it. Like I, Put, I put that out, like I reposted it because, you know, Jordan and I don't have a, a, a relationship really today. Like we've been colleagues and sort of known each other over the years, but never like close friends. Yeah. But like, to me, I was like, wow, here's an opportunity for people to like, see what Jordan's all about, right. you know, bring Vespertine to their house. Like 
I thought it was such a an interesting time to reconnect with with the people that are coming into your restaurants, yeah. you know, and I, I felt like everyone then started to sort of see the value of social media and entertainment sort of colliding. For and sure. now I hope it, it it encourages people to embrace all of it and know that we're all in this industry for the same reasons. And like, we want to take care of our staff. We want to take care of our guests and we want to take care of our families. And that's to me, if you're doing any of this outside of those reasons, then you're probably in the wrong industry. Yeah. I feel like you also do that, like take care of the industry by your, like your charity work. I feel like you're always doing stuff with the LA mission. I think you've done stuff with world central kitchen. Like why is that such a prevalent part of your career? Cause it's, or even your, I mean, more of your personal life. That's something you choose. I just feel like it's, it's sort of my responsibility. You know, it's like, if you like, I do get to have a lot of downtime, you know, now based on how not, not even downtime. I sort of get to like write my schedule every Mm -hmm. week and prioritize where I need to be. And I just feel like carving out some time to cook for people that needed to eat versus just like cooking for people that are like entitled to eat. Like, that's important to me because to me, I, I can contribute something to that. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm not, I, I just feel like getting involved in your community in some way, especially as a chef, it's important, but, and it was weird because for a lot of years we were all doing these events where, you know, it's, it's the taste of whatever. And like this, the proceeds of this are going to go to charity. And a lot of times those events would only give like 10% of the proceeds to a charity. And I was just like, well, how can I work more directly with some of these people that are getting some of this money? And that's when I started like working with the LA mission or with like no kid hungry. Like I can work directly with them without having to pack up 600 or 700 portions of a dish that my restaurant donated and show up to an event and stand there and like stand on the back of an eight foot table and pass food out to people. Yeah. Like I can do real work with them. And so when I met the mission, um, I just felt like they they were really like open to me coming and and sort of just being a part of that family. And so for me, again, it was just like another extension of my community, like not my community, meaning in L.A., but my my hospitality community, like my restaurant community. Like I can learn from them, you know, and they can learn from me and we can cook for people. And like I just like I feel I don't know people people's perception of what my life is and what it actually is is so different. Like. I care so much about anyone that works in this industry or anyone that we get to cook for. Like, I just care so much about it, you know? And so for me, it's, I fuck up. Like I say dumb shit. I do dumb shit. Uh, I change the color of my hair. Like I, (laughs) I, I get, you know, I, I follow certain like fashion trends and things like that because it's, I'm curious about it. You know, like I want, I'm continuing to learn. Like I love to absorb information. One of my favorite things in life is like hearing a good idea. Like I love that, you know? And so everything that I do, I feel like is a part of all of that, you know? Like, yeah, I was going to ask, like, what do you think the most common misconception is about you that people on the outside who don't know anything about you other than this like TV persona think? I think a lot of people think that I fell into the work that I get to do today the way that a lot of people do right now. And that's like, you know, they they worked at a couple okay restaurants. They got one opportunity to be seen on some form of a television show and all of a sudden they think they're a chef. Like I was working for, well, cause I started cooking when I was 15 moved to LA when I was 30 and that's when I was basically opening the bazaar for Jose. Like those 15 years of my life up until Top Chef 
weren't really accounted for, you know, it was like, yeah. and I, I didn't never, I don't feel the need to justify that. I don't feel the need to justify shit to anyone, but like none of this has been easy, but I also wouldn't change any of it. Like I wouldn't yeah. go back and be like, I wouldn't have done TV because I see the value in that. Or I wouldn't have gotten in social media. Like I see the value in that. Yeah. The one thing I would say is like, I would have figured out how to spend more time with my daughters. Like that's probably the one thing where like, you don't know once you're in it, like mm -hmm. how far it can consume you and how far it can go. And then one day you wake up and you're 43 and you're still approaching your week the same way. Like, can I open another restaurant? Can right. I, is, is, are my partners that I'm currently working with happy? Uh, can I do more television? Cause that's kind of fun. And so it's like my brain every day, like I'm trying to figure out like what, what should I prioritize? What's important to me? What do I need to figure out how to balance? And like, how can I be more involved like in my daughter's lives yeah. and stuff too? It's like, how can I do all of it? And, and answers you can't, like you just, I'm still trying. I, it's still hard. Like yeah. it's hard, you know, where but, are they? Where are your daughters now? Uh, Olivia's in school, uh, in Utah. She's, uh, in first year of med school and then Sophia will graduate high school this year. Yeah. Wow. So they're they're and they're great. Like they turn, they're incredible kids. We talk every day and like, thanks for FaceTime. Like, you yeah. know, it's like we get to hang out, yeah. you know? And I mean, you do, I will say when I learned, when I learned that you had daughters, I was like, wait, what? Like, I just didn't know that about you. But when I asked the first time I ever asked you about your daughters, you like lit up. I mean, you're clearly very proud of them. Well, cause like when, like when I first, you know, sort of stepped out of my restaurant job and started doing things like top chef and stuff. Like I, I definitely saw like a lot of the shit talking and stuff like that. And I just really didn't want to expose them to too much of that stuff. You know, mm -hmm. like if I was out there, like, there, there was no benefit. There yeah. was no, I didn't want their lives to be interrupted because I was, I was out there doing things that was keeping me from being there for them. Mm -hmm. And so if I was then talking about them, like I am right now, back then that just would have been wrong, you know? And so oh, now like I'm that. not talking about it now, like, Hey, and I've got these two amazing daughters, like I yeah. do. And I'm lucky to have them today, having not been as physically present yeah. as I should have been all the years leading up to right now, but I always took care of them. Like they yeah. always had everything they needed. Like it wasn't like, Hey, I'm going to go move off to LA and like have this great life and yeah, blah, blah. And like, no, like anything they ever need or want, like I'm there for them, yeah. whether it's, um, emotionally, physically or financially, like they're my daughters and I love them. And like, I, you know, I just didn't feel like it was necessary to make that part of my narrative back then because yeah. my narrative to me was I'm a chef who's now going to competitively cook on television. Right. Where are your parents? Are they still in Maryland? Yeah. My mom uh, and my stepfather have a house on, on my brother's property. So they have oh, like cool. this farm. It's like this little compound and they all, it's, oh, it's great. That. They got goats and chickens and I'm kind of like uncle Michael that lives in LA and yeah. comes in the every cool now. uncle. Sometimes I get to play that role. Yeah, it's fun. That part's cool. Uh, it's fun because I didn't realize how much I missed my family until I started to make an effort to go back and see them more. Yeah. And it's like, I just, you move to a city like this and you get absorbed into this bubble and it's very easy to lose. Uh, how many years has it been? 13 years of your life. I've been here for 13 years. Yeah. Um, you wake up and you're like, hey, so what have you been up to? And they were like, 
it's been 13 years. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? You know, and you're just like, wow, it went by so fast. And I'm still opening restaurants. Uh, we've got plans. Uh, we're doing something in Chicago, uh, most likely, hopefully by the end of this year. Um, something. Yeah, how many restaurants do y'all have now? Uh, two, three, four. I mean, I'm not counting them. I'm just trying to like which ones are sticking around and which ones are going away. I mean, by the end of this year, collectively, Brian and I together will have um, four that are that are ours together. And then Brian has some things that he does on his own. But like, um, you know, the goal is to just keep it small enough to where we can manage it. But but now that we've trained a lot of people and a lot of people have worked with us is like open things when we're ready or there's people ready that work with us to sort of take over yeah so it's the last thing we want to do is just like go open a whole bunch of things and never be around yeah. at all and like that's just not the way we work and so we want all of our partners to to be happy with us and vice versa and just create create positive energy i mean brian and i brian and i have been through a lot of shit you know and we we still love it like love it yeah you know what I mean? I mean like, didn't I, you kind of like follow in his footsteps essentially? Like when he was working at Holiday Inn, weren't you like, all right, I'll get a job at Holiday Inn? Yeah, I worked under him. Yeah. And he was my boss for a little bit. But um, I just, I just, we're so thankful for like every chef we've gotten to work with and for and just all the opportunities, whether or not they were considered good for our career or, you know, people thought we were sellouts for doing it or whatever. Right. Like we're grateful for every single thing that we've gotten to do. Like, when I got my job at the Holiday Inn when I was 16 because I had to pay rent while I was in high school, like I never th dreamed I was going to get to do this, you know, like, and so now, and, and I definitely went through a part of my career where like after Top Chef, like your head gets a little bit big and I was already cocky and arrogant back then, <laughs> but like to today to be able to look back at like how, how interesting and cool my life has gotten to be because I decided that I had to cook at the Holiday Inn to like make money yeah. like if you would have shown me all this back then I would have been like and I'm not like, like I'm not rich you know what I mean like I'm still not like yeah. none of us really are ever but it's like I, life ex I'm rich in life experience you know and I'm comfortable in my life my kids are taken care of my mom is safe like well I mean if you look back at like exactly like you're saying like you're paying bills and living like a full-fledged adult at 16 would you ever imagine you'd be sitting here like with a pool in your backyard in Los Angeles no, but, yeah. but not even that. It's just the amount of people I've gotten to meet or the amount of things like, you know, I got to do a travel show where I went around the world to conflict zones and bring two sides together around a dinner table that didn't get along with each other. Like I went to 16 countries when I filmed yeah, I that, that show. I want that to come back. It's on Amazon. You can watch it. I know, but I want it. I want like but new like, seasons. But like that <laughs> stuff or like, I mean, I've gotten to, you know, I've gotten interviewed by Larry King and I've gotten to be on like Jimmy Fallon and Conan O'Brien. Like I've gotten to just. Table five podcast. Yeah. Table five podcast or, <laughs> but like go to like, you know, Super Bowls or like just the, the things that I've gotten to do. Where I thought it was like as a kid, I was like, damn, I can't believe I got to work full time while I'm in high school and like blah, blah, blah. And like, this is my job. And it's just like this industry has given me the coolest fucking life I could yeah. have ever asked for. And so now why do I go back out and do things in the community? Because I feel like it's my responsibility. I feel guilty for all the shit that I've gotten to do. And yeah. I think that there's chefs out there that are far more talented than I am. I don't like... 
I'm scared of like the next generation of chefs that are coming up because they, they, the information is now all distributed through technology versus we all used to like get drunk together in New York at night and like yeah. trade notebooks and like, oh, you work there? I'll trade you my notebook for tonight and give me yours and then we'll switch back tomorrow like while we're well like a notebook of like recipes of other yeah, restaurants of the restaurant you're working in yeah like oh, cool you couldn't get recipes like you get them today like you couldn't just google like how to make this by thomas keller whatever that, that, yeah. that you had to know someone that had worked there that had gotten that recipe or you had to wait like the french laundry cookbook came out and then everyone was making every recipe in that book and just sort of manipulating yeah. it to sort of like change it but it was like back before all of that you needed to either work in that restaurant or know somebody that did and you had to have something of equal value in your pocket that you could trade for those recipes and so a lot of us were cooking like that and now these kids can just trade information like right and it's so fast and quick but um yeah i just hope that i get to stay around and continue to do this for for a little bit longer like i'm you know, I still feel like I'm one of the young guys, but like some of these kids, like you're like, yo, you're one of the Hochies. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You're like, oh. yeah. I'm still like trying to like figure out how to open a restaurant this year. What do you like when you're not doing all this creative coming up with how to open a new restaurant or like your menu or whatever it is or doing your TV stuff? What are you doing like for fun or a hobby or when you're just like laying low? I mean, I like to watch TV. <laughs> That's weird. Like, like scripted, I, unscripted? Uh, my favorite show is 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? <laughs> Deadass. Deadass. Michael Voltaggio, um, you're like throwing yeah, me watch, for a loop. I watch it. Well, because I, like I like to watch things that um, where, where I can think, I can still think about like work stuff and kind of mindless, I'm, like watching. Yeah, like I don't sit down and watch a lot of, that's why I think a lot of these like scripted series that come out that are, seem like a four day long movie, like those are cool for me because I can kind of pay attention. Like I, I don't really sit down and watch a lot of movies start to finish because I feel like I'm going to get distracted. Like my phone's going to go off, whatever. It's like, I know you can pause it, but I don't know. Like I, yeah. I just like to watch um, 90 Day Fiance. 90 Day Fiance. That's incredible. <laughs> but like what else do I do? I mean, I hike, I exercise quite a bit. Like I try and lately I'm doing a lot of work on just like keeping my mind right so that I – don't get complacent. Like I want to do a lot more, you know, I really want, I really want to do a lot more. I want to, I want to be in more restaurants, cooking more food. I want to, you know, do, I want to do as much as I possibly can with the time that I've left to do it. And I think everyone should be doing that. I mean, now in life, what's crazy about the past few years is the only reason you can't do something is because you didn't think of it. And I think mm -hmm. that goes back to like the type of jobs that I want to be in. It's like there's so many ways to generate opportunities and get creative. And now that we're all connected with each other, like the answers are out there. And I just think it's like I've just I'm just so thankful that I I get to do what I get to do. I get to yeah. do what I do, you know, and just with the people I get to do it with and for the people I do it for. I'm so, I don't take any of it for granted. Like I, I know I'm lucky. Yeah. I mean, I think about the fact that there's two chefs of your, you and Brian's caliber out of one family. And it's a little like, I have three siblings and none of us have similar talents. 
the idea that your mom is like, yeah, two of my boys are these amazing chefs. I mean, does your sister cook? She, uh, she was a pastry chef with my brother for a while. Oh, wow. Um, But she, her son had food allergies. And so she got into baking to like, so he could have pastries without having allergic reactions. Oh, I love that. She just, she took a break from it recently. She, uh, yeah, (laughs) she's, uh, I don't know that the, the dynamic of employee sibling, like, works, you know, as well. And, and she, she was amazing. She is amazing at baking, but, um, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you still have motorcycles? I don't, uh, ride motorcycles anymore. And what's crazy about that is like my brother recently started, uh, taking flight lessons and yesterday, two days ago, went up for his first solo flight. Yeah. He's flying planes by himself. And so, Uh -uh. um, I, I stopped riding motorcycles one because I just, uh, I mean, LA is not, you know, it's, it's a convenient place to have a motorcycle because you split traffic and stuff, but that also makes it extremely dangerous. Yeah. And so I stopped riding a few years ago here. Um, but like, I just, I don't know. I like to, I, I, I don't know what I like to do. Cause I still much like, I, i like to try different things all yeah. the time, you know? And it's like cooking in a restaurant, owning a restaurant, being on TV, not being on TV, doing this event, doing that event, going to live music shows and being on a stage in these shows and cooking for those people. Like how else can I take what I've gotten to do over the years and get to do it even more in a different way? And what else can I do? Like yeah. how, how can I keep, keep it fun? You know? Yeah. And, like, and you've done scripted shows. I mean, you were in Lucifer. I've done a lot. Young like, and hungry. Yeah. What else were you on? <laughs> You've done uh, scripted stuff. I, I, yeah, I've done a few sitcoms. Suburgatory. Suburgatory, The Exes, Marry Me. Like, yeah, I did quite a Marry few. Marry Me the movie? The show. It was oh, a TV show, I oh. think. I don't remember. Um, no, I've gotten to do a lot of cool shit. And that's because I started cooking at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, Holiday Inn to Hollywood, Michael. Look at that. It's just so weird. It's weird because my I still love... I mean, I don't know. I love, I love making a dish. Like anytime you even see, like if I'm like even at guys grocery games or, or like where it's fun for us to go there. And I think that that's, what's cool about it is like, it's honestly, it's like a little bit of break from reality. It's Mm -hmm. not, we're not going there. Like it's all out on the table. Like it's all or nothing right now. It's like, let's go cook with each other and talk shit. It kind of reminds me of like being a line cook, you know, Mm -hmm. like when I go like do some of these cooking competitions now with a bunch of my friends. It's the same type of shit talking that we did on the line when we used to challenge each other back in the day. And I think that guys sort of gives us this platform to like go and get to relive some of that part of our life that we miss so much because we're so busy doing all the other responsible stuff. It's like cooking online and bantering and talking shit. Like that was just the best part of this, all, all this, like that, that to me, getting your ass kicked on a Saturday night, Prepping your station, being in the shits, like eating food out of a plastic deli cup yeah. real fast, and then just getting, you know, going out together after work and like repeat that. Pro- yeah. Like there was just something so pure and fun about all that, and I think that a lot of times we get to do these shows off camera. Like that's really what's like happening. Kind of harkens back to that. Yeah, it's 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 that yeah. same thing. And I feel like our industry is like that. Even with you know just being a producer and re- in like TV, it's you find that camaraderie and then the show ends and all you want to do is not talk about work. And then you go have a drink with your coworkers and all you're doing is talking about work, but it's cause you have that same camaraderie. Like you've been through the trenches together and now you're out of it for a second. But that's, what's funny and cool. Like fun about living in LA is yeah. that, is that I don't, I don't 
go hang out with a lot of chefs because I don't want to be in a conversation where I feel like I have to compete and talk about what I'm doing at work and we will. And so, but what's interesting is that I find myself still hanging out with a lot of different creatives and I'm still learning so much. And so, I mean, I have a lot of friends at work and people that make plates, people that are artists that paint, people that sculpt, people that act, people that are musicians, people that whatever it is, like I'm, I'm constantly in these situations where I'm meeting people where I'm like intrigued and inspired by what they do. And and selfishly absorbing some part of them to apply to yeah. what I might be doing next. And I don't want to ever just do something just to do it. Like I want to be good at everything that I do. Yeah. And maybe that's just, I don't know. I I hold myself accountable for like a lot of stuff. And like there was times where, you know, you read like a review about your restaurant or like whatever. And it's, it's dark, you know, you, you, you have to, be able to turn that off and not really just care about what people think about you. Right. And like I said, if you want to dye your hair fucking blue one day, do it. You know, if you want to, if you want to, um, take a stupid picture of yourself, whatever, like whatever it is that you're doing that it's like, just go back to the kitchen and cook. Well, I'm also doing that. Yeah. But I'm also doing all this other stuff because that's also a part of who I am too. You yeah. know, and it's like, yeah, I mean you do your Instagram, you have on like, your, 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 your fun outfits that are like, you know, those shoes you had on the other day that are like those big black shoes. Like you have like a look and then you take a picture and you post it on Instagram and it's, I feel like that's part of your vibe. Like, why not? But it's also like, if it's offends you so much, why are you here? Right. You know what I mean? Like following me. But, and that happens too. And that's just unfortunate. That's just the nature of where we are. And I think that that's a whole separate conversation. Oh, another thing I do is I play a lot of Mario Kart. Oh my god! Yeah, old, like the old school Mario Kart? on Nintendo Switch. It's nice. that's probably I would say six hours a week. Oh my god! With uh, yeah, my girlfriend and I play. You know, it's, we've never gotten in one argument, but we're allowed to say whatever we want to each other while we're playing Mario Kart. And then you can't bring it up after the game's over. So, like, if, like, for example, she's annoyed by something you did yesterday, if the next day y'all play Mario Kart, she can bring it up in that moment? We haven't gotten that specific yet because we don't really know each other, but, like... <laughs> There's no rules. <laughs> but let's just say you have some... Let's say you're thinking about something that annoyed you the day before. Yeah. You can then... Uh, you can exhaust that energy during a Mario Kart game and just be like, you know, say whatever you want. Say whatever you That's want. That's a really good... Never been in really a, good we never, we never got in one fight. <laughs> Not one. That's amazing. What are you loving most about this phase of your life? Like you, you seem like in a really good place. You seem like you've accomplished a lot of things you wanted to accomplish. What are you loving the most about it? And what are you hoping is next? I, what I love the most about it is I feel like I've I've surrounded myself with enough people that I can trust and that trust me back. Like my circle has gotten big enough to where um, I've made enough impact, I guess, and invite people. I've made enough impact on me to where I don't have to do anything by myself anymore, you know? Yeah. And that, that part of it just is, I think it's going to allow me to be able to do a lot more. And so I'm just grateful for that. Like, I don't know if that makes much sense. I guess... I'm, I feel happy that I've touched enough people's lives in a way that they want to help continue supporting my efforts and they know that I'm going to give it back continuously. And I think that maintaining that circle is really important to me right now. Um, and then you also mentioned this, but who are you loving locally? Chefs, restaurants, 
Like, where do you love to, if someone was coming to LA, where would you make them go or tell them to go? Oh, uh, there's a spot down the street called Kin Can. Uh, it's incredible. She's, it's like sort of Thai Japanese fusion, but it's like the discipline of Japanese Kaiseki with like Thai influences. Yeah. I think she's incredible. Um, I mean, honestly, any restaurant that has the, I don't know what word to say. That's brave enough to open right now because yeah. our, our industry is really struggling, like support those restaurants. Um, I mean, I'm excited about, about just the, I went to Mr. Charlie's the other day, which is this thing that opened up on La Brea, which is like a plant-based, it says like plant-based food exhibition on the outside, but it's kind of loosely McDonald's branded. Yeah, it looks like, like McDonald's. But it was just like like these rest like people that are taking risks and just doing stuff to like keep the story going. You know, I think that's at the end of the day from that hamburger to your favorite three-star Michelin restaurant. Like if it makes you excited, just tell them and support it and tell everyone else and keep that keep keep everyone less inclined to sit at home with a food app in their hand right. and ordering food that way and give them a reason to get out of the house because we all need, we need you to do that. Yeah. You know, every, every restaurant now more than ever just needs, needs that. All right. This is the quick fire five, Michael. Brace yourself. Tell me what is your last meal before you die? <sighs> Sushi. Yeah. I mean, I feel Sushi, but then I would need to, and it's going to be, I would have to have ice cream after. That's fine. Yeah. You can, I mean, your last meal can like go all day. You can like find different paths. But I would probably, if you let me talk long enough, I'll change my answer. Cause I can think of like 10 other things <laughs> that right, I would sushi want. Sushi and ice cream it is. Yep. <laughs> Favorite city to eat your way through. I think, uh, sh Chicago's a really exciting food city right now. Um, I mean, obviously LA, I live here, but Chicago to me is like that city just embraces their chefs and yeah. there's like, there's an excitement about food in that city right now. That's so true. Actually. Um, if you weren't a chef, you would be doing what? I always wanted to be a rodeo clown. <laughs> why do you keep saying things that make no sense to me? Well, cause it's true. The same reason why I, I, I don't know why some of the stuff that I do happens, but yeah, I wanted to be a rodeo clown when I was younger. Oh my gosh. Okay. I just thought they were such like, they were the real cowboys. Like <laughs> the cowboy is riding the bull or the, or the wild horse or whatever, but the rodeo clown was yeah. there to like save the cowboy. Like cowboys are always the hero. Like, but who saves the cowboy? The rodeo clown. Wow. I love that. Um, favorite cocktail, wine or drink? Uh, favorite cocktail, wine or drink. I will say, Recreational use beer. I was about to say <laughs> by Michael Voltaggio. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm down. I mean, I'm down for. I, I I'm trying. I don't drink a lot of like liquor now, so it's mostly like I drink a good bottle of wine here and there, and I like my beer. It's low alcohol, low calorie, gluten free. Blah blah blah. You can get it at Air One. This podcast is brought to you by Recreational oh. Use Beer by I'll Fourteen Cannons. I'll call your people to sponsor this <laughs> podcast after. Um, and then tell me, obviously, this I know the answers to because I am actually looking at you. But you have tattoos. I Usually, do. the question is, do you have tattoos? But you do. How many tattoos do you have? Can you even count them? I, I got my first one when I was 15 years old. What was it? Uh, it's a shamrock on my ankle. Um, it's still there. How many do I have? I have no idea how many I have. There, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> like most of your body is covered in tattoos? Yeah. Do they all I mean something or are some of them just like whatever? No. Sometimes you're like, hey, I want to go get a girl 
cheese with sunglasses. And you just do it. Do you have a grilled cheese and sunglasses? I do. There's a story actually behind it. That is amazing. How what much time story? do we have? I have to. How how long is the story? Three minutes. Yeah, give it to me. Okay, I was in Portland, Oregon for a food festival, and as you know, uh, clubs where there are dancers are like normal bars in Portland. Okay, and so meaning like all of us would go socially out to like a place where dancers are dancing on stage sure. and have drinks. Like it's just kind of culture in Portland. And uh, I got to my room and there was a telephone there from Tillamook. And it was like, anywhere you are in this city, uh, we'll bring you grilled cheeses if you have this phone with you. And so I was like, if this is true at the end of the night, I'm going to tattoo the grilled cheese with sunglasses on the back of my arm. And uh, so we were going to all of those clubs together, a big group of men and women together. And uh, everywhere we went, they were bringing us grilled cheese sandwiches and we were feeding all the people that were working in the restaurant. I mean, in the, in the bar grilled cheeses. And so by the end That's of the amazing. night, like people were like jumping off stage. Like, are you the guys with the grilled cheese sandwiches? Like by the third club. And so, yeah, I had to uphold my end of the deal and get the grilled cheese with sunglasses tattoo. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, okay. And then tell me, what do you have coming up? Like, where can people see you? Where can like, what, what's going on that people should know about? Uh, Brian and I are opening a few, a couple restaurants this year. That's our plan anyway. Um, locations are still almost being communicated. So we're, yeah, we're going back to work. We want to go back to work and launch some new restaurants. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've been with my food network fam and just keep that, keep that ride going as long as possible. Cause it's, I love it. Like I love getting to do that and, uh, South beach food and wines coming up. So it really just depends on what week it is. Yeah. I'll be cooking somewhere. So if people follow you on Instagram, they can keep up with what shows you're on, where to, where to find you, what you're up to. Yeah, or like, you know, what color my hair is or what dumb thought that I may have had that day and decided to publicly communicate. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Michael Voltaggio, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on Table 5. Done. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Awesome. Thanks. I'll do table six when that comes out too. <laughs> All right. There you have it. The one and only Michael Voltaggio. I really loved sitting down with Michael and hearing his journey straight from him. I think he's right when he says that people kind of make assumptions about him, but the more I get to know him myself, the more I adore him. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael. To stay in the loop with Michael Voltaggio, follow him across social media at mvoltaggio. And you can see him on season three of Tournament of Champions out now on Food Network and Discovery Plus and starting March 14th on the Julia Child Challenge. I cannot end another podcast without a huge shout out to my dear friend, Colin Killily for the Table 5 music. He and Curtis Fry put this together and I couldn't love it more. I mean, I actually have, I really think, I'm sure everyone says this, but I have the coolest and most talented friends and I'm just constantly in awe. So I feel just like beyond honored that Colin would want to do something for Table 5. So Colin, thank you, my friend. And as always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Table5Pod and feel free to like, subscribe, download, rate, review, whatever your preference on the platform that you choose to listen to Table 5. Thanks, y'all.